Hey guys, Josh here. Thanks for joining us for the special parenting series. We're talking about parenting in every stage of life from the book of Proverbs. And we hope today that'll be an encouragement to you no matter where you are in your spiritual or parenting journey. Don't forget to fill out that connection card online at branchlife.church and stay to the end for a special uh, message. We hope that you enjoyed today's study from the book of Proverbs. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. When I leave home to walk to school, Dad always says to me, Marco, keep your eyelids up and see what you can see. But when I tell him where I've been and what I think I've seen, he looks at me and sternly says, Your eyesight's much too keen. Stop telling such outlandish tales. Stop turning minnows into whales. All the long way to school and all the way back, I've looked and I've looked and I've kept careful track. But all that I've noticed, except my own feet, was a horse and a wagon on Mulberry Street. That can't be my story. That's only a start. I'll say that a zebra was pulling that cart. But it isn't too late to make one little change. A a sleigh and an elephant. There's something strange. But he'd simply look grand with a great big brass band. A band that's so good should have someone to hear it. But it's going so fast that it's hard to keep near it. I'll put on a trailer. I know they won't mind if a man sits and listens while hitched on behind. And that makes a story that's really not bad. But it still could be better. Suppose that I add... A Chinese man who eats with sticks, a big magician doing tricks, a ten-foot beard that needs a comb. No time for more, I'm almost home, for I had a story that no one could beat, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. But Dad said quite calmly, just draw up your stool and tell me the sights on the way home from school. There was so much to tell, I just couldn't begin. Dad looked at me sharply and pulled at his chin. He frowned at me sternly from there in his seat. Was there nothing to look at? No people to greet? Nothing, I said, growing red as a beet. But a plain horse and wagon on Mulberry Street. I introduce myself. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life. And I love working with teenagers. We've been talking over the past several weeks about raising kids, right? And we've been talking about parenting, not just if you're a parent in the parenting season, uh, but from the book of Proverbs, we're getting wisdom for life no matter what season of life you're in, and we're applying it to parenting. So this is a wisdom series for all of us, no matter what stage we're in, but particularly talking to parents. And by the way, churching, which is a word that I've invented this series, churching is what we do together as a church, helping, it takes a village, pick the right village, right, to raise kids together. So we want to be working together to raise kids. One of the greatest opportunities that we have is during these teenage years. And we're calling these teenage years the coaching years. And these are the years where you get from 13 to 19, where you get a chance to transfer your parenting style. And it's a necessary transfer. It's a necessary transition to make from from primarily discipline to primarily training, which was the last two weeks. Check that out on our YouTube channel. Now to primarily coaching. And I, raise your hand if you've had some great coaches, right? If you've just had some great coaches, whether it was a choir coach or a sports coach or a boss that coached you well, mentoring, leading, guiding. Coaching is, is a wonderful, wonderful uh, characteristic. I mean, to be a coach is just fantastic. Coaching, when it's done right, is 
is really shepherding. It's, it's guiding. It still holds a ping of authority, right? The discipline years, you are absolutely in charge. I'll do it. You watch. In the training years, you're still in the driver's seat all the time. I do it. You help. Now in the coaching years, we're getting to the point where we say, you do it and I'll help. And, and you're transferring some responsibility. You're empowering these young adults to do what God has called them to do. And you step into the coaching role, right? I'm going to allow you to make your choices for better or for worse. I'm going to coach those. We're going to practice, and, and, but you're going to be on the field. Pastor, pastoring is very similar uh, to this. We, we coach you guys, and you've got to go make the choices. We shepherd, we mentor, we train, and we get you guys moving in the right direction. However, coaches are still in charge, right? If you've been benched <laughs> in the middle of the game, you know that you're still in charge. They, that you were calling the plays, but you weren't calling the right ones, yeah? You might have been injured on the field, and so it was time to get some rest and recuperation. Coaches still pull you out. Coaches still set the rules and still set the guidelines, right? There's certain things that some coaches allow and others don't. I remember I was on a team, and it was like no candy during the week of the tournament. No candy during the week of the tournament. To a teenager, no candy, right? No lollipops, no Snickers, no Hershey bars, and then no sugary soda. There goes Mountain Dew and Coca-Cola, right? I'm like, what kind of coach is this guy? This is a coach that's a healthy freak, right? And he wants us to play well that week, so he wants sugar out of our system, I guess. He's the coach. He's in charge. We'll see, uh, we'll see our Eagles kind of get coached today and uh, hopefully get coached to a win. I can't preach in the hat all day. I would make my parents very mad if I did that. Uh, so, and I also don't have a lot of Eagles gear, so I have green and black, and I, have my, uh, I stole my son's uh, bracelet, which is green and black. So uh, go Eagles. Coaches get paid millions of dollars if they do it well in the NFL. You have the opportunity in the teen teenage years to become a coach. Now, over my years, I've learned a bunch of things about teenagers, and we're going to be able to share some of that today. I could probably do an entire year on this. We're going to boil it down to 30 minutes to give Scott enough time for what he's going to share with us, which is super important at the end of the service. But I've, I, I've realized this about teenagers. A, they get a bad rap. B, they're a ton of fun. So if you're not having fun with your teens, you're missing something. And C, they rise to expectations. And if you allow teenagers and you're clear with them and you say, here, here's the expectations, here's, here's the bar, here's where I think you can get to, teenagers by and large will rise to the expectations that they're given. And they will excel and super exceed given the right coaching and given the right support. And they'll oftentimes surprise you with their abilities and their capabilities if you would just allow them to play on the field as, as you coach them. And over the years, uh, we've seen teenagers turn into major uh, people who have a major impact in this world for Jesus. In, in my personal story, and I could tell you story after story about teens, but I'll just put something up here. Um, as my personal goal has been to be a builder of churches, because I think that's the most important thing you can do. I've often called on teens to jump into that, to see if God is calling them to do that in some way, shape, or form. And there's a whole lot of teens who are represented on this side who have been a part of my personal mentoring and coaching sphere who have stepped into full-time ministry in some way, shape, or form. Some of these you know, some of these you don't know, but they're spread out all over the place, uh, all over the country. Today, they are all involved in ministry somewhere on this Sunday, whether they're preaching or leading worship or, or teaching classes or 
guiding teenagers. And so all of these, all of these kids had, are, are now adults, and they're in full-time ministry in some way, shape, or form, uh, and they've risen to expectations. All of these kids, when I knew them, messed up somehow. <laughs> all of these kids had problems. All of these kids let their parents down. All of these kids had zits and pimples and crashed their cars and made bad relationship decisions, yet they're still now on fire for Jesus, and today they're making an impact for the kingdom. Not every teenager is going to go into full-time ministry, and that's been my story as well. But yet, on this side, these are all teenagers who you probably know now as young adults, who did not go into full-time ministry, but every single one of these teenagers, oh man, without them, we don't have Branch Life Church. Back in 2017 and 18, when we put the call out for a core team to come together to help us build Branch Life Church, each one of these in their teenage years answered that call and said, I want to be a part of building a church. I want to be a part of building Branch Life Church. And so you know Tyler and Sarah and Brad and Kimberly. And here's one of my favorite pictures over the last five years because here's Kimberly, who was one of my teenagers, who is now my personal teenager's youth leader. And she works and gives Jesus to teenagers every week here at Branch Life Church. But Kimberly's a full-time nurse. That's what she does with her career. Here's, here's Tyler, who you've seen on, on the playing percussion. He leads a small group here at Branch Life Church. Tyler is in media and marketing. That's his full-time career. But yet, week in and week out, he leads a small group, and he gives God through, to God through music, and has helped us in incredible ways all the way through with Jake, Jeremy, Riley, Chris, who's our missions resident who helps us host. He's one of, one of our kids who has been a part of it. One of my favorite Branch Life stories, we announced in 2017-18 that God was leading us to plant a church. We didn't know what that meant. We didn't know where we were going. But we said to a whole bunch of teenagers, past and present, we're moving to a new phase of ministry. And, and that was hard for us. The very next week, I got a letter in the mail, and it came from Sarah. Sarah lives states away. And Sarah, when she was in our youth group, went through some really, really difficult days. Her, her parents got a divorce. It was really, really hard for her. We poured into Sarah, and we loved Sarah, and we just treated her as one of our own, like we did with all of our kids. Wished her well when she moved across state, met a, met a new husband, gotten married, raising her own family. And she heard about the announcement from, I don't know, somebody, and immediately sent us a letter. And that letter was a check for $1,000. She said, I know God's calling you, and I know you're going to need money, so I wanted to give you some. College kid. First person to give a penny to make Branch Life Church possible. The power of teenagers can never be underestimated. And when you are coaching and involved in teens' lives, it's one of the greatest callings you can ever have is to impact teenagers for eternity. Today we're talking about the power of parenting, and here's the principle. In the coaching years, they choose you help. Parents, whether you like it or not, your teens are off the bench and they're on the field. And I know it's hard to let this happen 
and to see it happen and even to realize this happens. But in the teenage years, the teens are making a majority of their choices without you. They're in the game. They're, they're in those situations where they're going to be offered a drink. What are they going to choose? Where they're going to be asked to step into a relationship. What relationship are they going to choose to be in? Where they're picking their friends. What friends are they going to choose? Where they're driving the car down the highway. What speed are they going to go? They're now on the field. They're in the game of life. Whether you're ready for them to be or not. And unfortunately, it feels like we're talking about 13 through 19-year-olds. We I feel like the game that's happening, the game of life, and our kids are entering the game sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner. Where they're being exposed to major life choices right off the bat when they're teenagers, and they've got to be coached and ready to make those decisions. You see, coaching is, is giving your teens the ability, the option uh, to make the right yeses and the right noes in life. And so as you're coaching, there's four areas that we're going to see in Proverbs, four areas where teens need coaching. We're going to talk about coaching teens to, ha teens to have self-restraint, right? In your teenage years, it's possible to have self-restraint. I know that's crazy. We're, we're coaching them on what is real and what is fake. This is getting harder and harder, not easier. We're coaching teens to have great relationships, and we're coaching teens to have a deeper faith. Proverbs 19, I messed up this verse. It's not 19.2, but it's Proverbs 19.20. So again, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip there so you can underline or circle this one. But in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You see, this advice, this coaching, when we do it right, when we give it, and teenagers, when you receive it, when you give it credit, when you give it weight in your decision making, it will help you gain wisdom in the future. Your advice and counsel today will help you with tomorrow. And so here's four areas where Proverbs talks to us about imparting wisdom to those around us. First, let's talk about coaching self-restraint. The first thing we want to coach is self-restraint. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Now, back in the Bible times, there was a lot of cities being taken. And that's why the cities in the Bible times had walls around them because kings and kingdoms would come and they would t lay siege on a city and then they would capture that city and make it their own. And that general or that king, whoever captured that city, would get parades and applause and recognition around the world because they captured a city. <sighs> it's a big deal. We have modern examples of people trying to capture cities now. His name is Vladimir Putin. He is evil and a jerk, but this is what he's doing. He's trying to capture cities and take them over because in his mind, in his sphere, somehow that makes him a great man or a great president because he has more land. But what the Bible says is not greatness doesn't come from capturing a city. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes, the shortest story in the Bible goes like this in Ecclesiastes. It says, there was a city that was under siege, but in that city was a poor wise man who saved the city from being taken. That's the story. We don't know how the poor wise man saved the city from being taken. He just did. Why? Because he was wise. He ruled his spirit. 
He controlled his spirit. His spirit didn't control him. When everything is out of control, your best defense is impulse control. Well, what is impulse control? Well, it's controlling your impulses. Teenagers, you got impulses coming out your ears. You got to understand it, right? And especially in your teen years, you've, you've got so much getting thrown at you. You get impulses from hormones, all right? Hormones are these chemicals inside of your body, in case nobody has taught you this yet, that are going to start screaming at you and make you do crazy things that you don't even know why you're doing them when you're doing it. And it, it's not your fault, but it's totally your fault. Like you have, the hormone is like causing you to, to be angry and to be mad. And, and you, you shouldn't be mad, but you're mad. And you're, am I going to be mad at you, mom and dad? And mom's like, I'm just trying to give you dinner. And how dare you? Hormones. And then you see this person walking across the street. You're like, oh, that is the coolest, best, best looking person I've ever seen. And you start drooling a little bit. And you're like, did you, you, t- you hit your friend. You're like, did you see her? And he, he's like, what are you talking about? You're like, Hormones. And then, and then the hormones, they bleed into your brain and they affect kind of your decision making, the way that you see what you hear and what you don't hear. And sometimes, I said this to Delaney, like, like last night I was like, walk the dog. I know this is a continuing illustration. She told me she's going to charge me $3 for every time I use her in an illustration today. <laughs> Best $3 I've ever spent, all right? So there's, there's, there's walking the dog, right? And she came inside. We were at a party last night. We came inside. She got under her blanket. She wanted to watch Hannah Montana on the screen. I don't know why. And so we watched Hannah Montana on the screen, and she's under the thing. And I'm like, before she got under her blanket, don't forget, you guys got to walk the dog. So we came in. That's number one, right? In my mind, that's number one. And then she's under the blanket, and I'm walking around. Dog's barking downstairs. I'm like, don't, don't, walk the dog, please. Guys, you got to walk the dog. Number two. And then I sit down. I'm like, where is Delaney? I'm like, she's under the blanket. Laney, walk the dog. Number three, right? And so finally, I've said this five times, I'm coaching like crazy, and all of a sudden we're on n- number four, and I'm like, Lainey, what are you doing? She's like, I can't Montana. I'm like, walk the dog. And she's like, oh, okay. I'm like, why did it take me four times to tell you to walk the dog? She goes, I didn't hear you. <laughs> hormones. Yeah, hormones. They just take over. And so you have all these impulse controls, and then now you have these impulses coming from the screen right? And they're telling you to do things and to keep scrolling and get more likes and look like that person and you're not having a good night because they're having a better night and what your body image should be. And the screens are giving, that's impulses, that's coming at you. So now you have hormones, now you have impulses, then you have friends whispering into your ears telling you what they think and what you should be done. They're texting you, they're talking to you. More impulse control. If you're listening to your friends, don't forget, they have hormones too, right? Your friends are making just as bad decisions as you are, and now they're telling you what to do and what's popular. Hormones, right? Huh, teenage years. Blah. It will get better. Someday, everything will calm down and level out, and you won't have as much pressure but what's your best defense? To rule your spirit. To have self-control. Now, how do we get self-control? Bar none, right? Branch Life Church. The deeper your connection to Christ, the farther your reach. The deeper your roots go, the more fruit you will bear. The fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. Do you know what the last one is? And self-control. So if you get deeper in your relationship with God, that's going to help you with your impulse control. Obviously, coaching number one. We're going to talk about that in the fourth area. But here's the coaching goal, parents, when you're helping teenagers. You're helping teens choose self-control in a world that encourages self-indulgence. So you're, you're coaching against the tide. The world is saying, spend more money with me, spend more time with me, 
spend, spend more emotions on me and just indulge, 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 indulge. And that, that's what the world's going to ask your kids to do. You've got to say to them, I need you to have some restraint. Restrain, 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 restrain. Hold back. Delay that gratification like we talked last week. Because what is happening in the world in, in, and in your kids' bodies is impulse control is knowing when to say no. And, and we all understand that your natural inclination is going to say yes to things you probably shouldn't say yes to and no to things you probably should say no to. Screen time, for example. Can a, can a teenager control their own screen time? Every, every parent's like, no. <laughs> Can't do it. Because if you let them go, right, they're going to spend all day every day. If your kid's a gamer, are they going to just go play for 15 minutes and be done for the rest of the week? No. <laughs> they're going to play for hours. Why? Impulse control, sensory overload, entertainment factor, all the things that the gaming companies do to try to get you entrenched into that moment, into that time. You just, you have to learn to say no. You have to learn to say no when someone's asking you to take your purity. You have to learn to say no about looking at the wrong things on the internet. When, when your body is going to draw you towards those things, your natural self, you're going to have to say no when someone comes up and offers you drugs and they want you to try it and it's not a big deal and everybody's doing it. You're going to want them to say no when they're offered, to, they have $100 to their name and they're going to spend that on the dumbest stuff ever, right? No, 100 bucks, you're going to spend it in the right way. No to hurting yourself, even when your inside's hurting. No to not eating in a, in a bad way. No to that kind of language. No to blowing your temper. No to taking that drink. We want to coach them to say no to these things and about 50 million other things that we need to learn to say no to, but it's so easy to give it a yes, impulse control. And then we want to coach them to say yes to those things when, to, to know when to say go. In your teenage years, coaches, parents, parents, you shouldn't be waking your kids up anymore. Now, if they're still in bed at 2 o'clock, yes, you should be waking them up. But they should set their alarm they should get out of bed. They should start getting themselves ready, all so they can get to the bus on time without panic. Why? Because we're teaching them how to say go. And in order to do that, they need to be able to know when their bedtime should be. They should be able to know how to care for their bodies, how to clean themselves up. They should be know how to dress themselves. They should know, right, these are all things that we've transitioned from in our toddler years. We're not picking out their outfits anymore. Now they're picking out their outfits. They may come downstairs to go hang out with their friends, and you might, as a father, look at that dress and say, no, ma'am, you're going back up and you're changing. Why? I'm coaching right now, but we, have, we still have this. They're still picking it out. And we've got to say, hey, this is, when, when are you going to go to bed? What friendships are green light? What friendships are red light? One of the most important choices is friends. We're going to talk about in a minute. Yes, are you spending time in the Bible? Are you going to worship? And teenagers, if you don't look forward to being a part of worship, that's something you want to invest in your spirit so that you can look forward to coming to worship. Yes, even in a part of big church. The teens and serving. Man, we have teens serving all over the place at Branch, and I love seeing it happen. Let's double down on that and say that's a big thing to say go to, to say go to Jesus, to say yes to exercise, to say yes to working. I'm going to voluntarily get a job. Isn't that a crazy thing? And giving generously. And, and so much of our time is spent with our impulses on the wrong thing instead of controlling the good stuff that it should be on. To help with screen time, and I don't have time to download you on all this stuff, but I've come up with several rules for teens and tech. So parents, get your notebooks out. Teenagers, 
I apologize in advance. Number one rule for teens in tech, parents should have all passwords, period. This is a coaching principle. This is just one area of life. But if you don't have your kid's password, they don't have that app, or they don't have that phone, or they don't have that device. You should have all passwords, period, bar none, no exceptions. You should be able to get on their social media at any time and see what's going on. That's for their wisdom so that you can coach and protection. Number two, teens should follow in real life friends only with the exception of like some, some healthy celebrities and, and people that are kind of in the culture, but they shouldn't be following strangers. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be connecting online with, with people they don't know. Rule number three, only post or text positive comments. This is one for all of us. Only post or text positive comments. Don't ever give criticism in a Facebook chat message. Don't ever correct somebody online. Don't ever get into a conversation where it's critical, where you're just writing an email and you're blasting somebody. Don't do it, ever. If you have something negative or critical to say, say it. Don't write it. Super important. So if you're mad at the world, don't post that out on social media. Only post positive things. You will never regret posting positive things. You will often regret posting negative things or emailing negative things or texting negative things. So only post positive. And I don't care what the post is. If I'm looking at it and it's negative, my coaching critique is going to be this shouldn't be a post. This should be a conversation. So let's have that conversation. Number four, agree together to limits. Agree together to limits, talk about what you can handle, what you can't handle on your screens, and then bedrooms and kitchen tables are no screen zones. It's a great coaching principle. Bedrooms and kitchen tables are no screen zones. Help with impulse control. Coaching then, what is real? In our Mulberry Street book, all that entire book was about a teenager's or a child's imagination going wild, and they made up a tail, and they turned a minnow into a whale. Our job and coaching on what seems real, Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right unto man, but leads to death. We need to constantly be teaching our kids the difference between real and fake. We need to, reality entails keeping minnows minnows and whales whales. And being able to know what's what and what's when. Proverbs 16, 25 is a great verse. I, I, uh, Unfortunately, in part of my teenage year, teenage ministry, I've been a part of four funerals of teenagers. Four funerals of teenagers. Not because they were sick, but because they made bad impulse choices. Most of them were connected to drug overdoses. And as I sat at those funerals and sat with those parents and thought about our time with those kids and the connections that we had made and the discussions that we have, you ask yourself, what did you do wrong? What did you miss? Where could you have done better? And it, it boils down to that at some point in their story, there was a way that seemed right to them. There was a choice that seemed good to them. There was a, a, a decision that they made that was necessary to them. But that decision and the series of decisions that followed after it ultimately led to death. It, that was not the right decision. They didn't know what was real and what was fake. And they were making big things small and small things big. In Proverbs chapter uh, 16 and verse 22, it then says, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of the fool is folly. We want to 
in this coaching in reality, we want to demonstrate to kids what is good sense, what is common sense, what is God's sense. And we want to have that so we can have this fountain of life. When you follow after the good that God has for you, that is truly living, not going after these false flags of fun and hope and desire, but saying, I'm going to go after the right thing, not the foolish thing. Reality entails keeping minnows minnows and whales whales. So what are some of the minnows that are actually minnows that get big? Well, did you know, teenagers, that your relationship status is not that big a deal? And all God's people said, amen. It does not matter if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'll just say that right now. Like, it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, it's not important. It's not a big deal. You don't need the title. It shouldn't be a desire that you run to. That is impulses happening inside of you going, I must have a boyfriend. Why? Everybody has one, and they're so good looking, and so I got to get one of those. And you're, you're going crazy, and you want to then tell the world about it because you want to change your relationship status because if it's not your relationship status official, it's not official, right? And, and you get it out there, and then the whole world goes, oh, I'm happy for you, or how dare you, you know, or whatever it is. And this thing becomes so massive and this little minnow thing that relationship status on your social media becomes a whale and it's not a big deal neither is influencers but they're so cool they're not they're not not that cool neither is the number of likes on your posts or the style that you choose and parents i'm telling you the same thing style who cares like let them let them have a style you know it's their big thing but teenager style who cares it's not a big deal. Like, you don't really need to, like, invest millions of dollars into a certain style. Popularity, doesn't matter. Drama, amen, right? Not a big deal, right? Drama is professionally making whales out of minnows. And then hurt feelings, I'm sorry to say, not a big deal. Sports, not a big deal. Even when the Eagles are on their way to the Super Bowl, yeah, not that big a deal. Not really a big life-changing thing. And celebrity, some of these things become so massive in our teenage years that we then do things, make compromises, make decisions with our time that are out of proportion because we make small things into big things. Now, there's big things that we make small things. We should keep the big things big. God, my church that I'm a part of, the Bible, like Jesus, like notice like these are massive, like these are super important, but how often in our teenage years do we kind of just set those aside? And we just say, hey, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that's a, you know, a big deal. But you got to keep it in the forefront. Worship, discipleship, having, this is coaching, having people pour into you and train, train you. Getting wisdom, big deal, fear of God. Parents are actually a really big deal. I wish my parents would leave me alone. No, I want you to go to your parents more. Like, get them more involved. It's super exciting to have parents that love you and want money, how you handle it, big deal. Your purity, huge deal. And the world's going to say to you that your purity doesn't matter. The world's going to say to you that everybody's doing it. The world's going to say to you, go that way and take that step. But that's, no, no, no. Your purity is such a big deal that you want to protect it. Don't make a whale a minnow. Don't minimize any of these things ever. And keep it super important. What God says is big, keep it big. What God says is small, keep it small, right? And so we got to keep minnows, minnows, and whales, whales. So here's our coaching goal for reality, seeing reality, is to always remember that the world makes stupid things seem smart and smart things seem stupid. It happens all the time. And we get bombarded with this. And so we need to make sure our teens see and understand when the world is making something stupid seem smart. Like, like okay, do you know the percentages of people who live together before they get married, their divorce rate is 
really high. But the logic is, you know, first we're going to date, and then we're going to fool around, and then we're going to live together, and then we're going to get married, and then we're going to be like, this works, and then get married, and then we're going to be happily ever after. And that, that seems like logic, right? And that's what our world has said is the way that it's supposed to progress. Please, if you're in one of those relationships and you're in that road, I'm not, I'm not mocking you and I'm not belittling your choices. I'm just saying that someone convinced you that that was the smart way to go, and it's not. It's not. God has prescribed a very specific method for dealing with who you're going to marry. And he says, he says, don't commit adultery. He says, don't become one until you become married. Then you're married. Then you live together and have a physical relationship. And those are the relationships that honor God that last. And statistically, they last much more than those that don't. This happens with politics. This happens with, with uh, entertainment. This happens with time management. This happens everywhere. And so we have to constantly be coaching our, thing, our kids into understanding that, hey, you're going to get the wrong message a lot of the time. So I'm going to make sure to give you the right one. We have to coach them in great relationships. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who you spend the most time with will shape who you are. It's a well-known fact that your top five closest relationships then become the total accumulation of who you are. So if you spend, if you spend a lot of time and energy, a lot of time, your top five people, if they're all billionaires, your chance of being a billionaire goes up significantly. I need to get new friends, right? Like, that's just how it works. If you want to be a successful business owner, hang out with other successful business owners. If you want to, if you want to be a, 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 a godly pastor with a, a church that's on fire for Jesus, hang out with other godly pastors with churches on fire for Jesus. This method, this idea, birds of a feather flock together, right, that kind of thing, is absolutely wisdom. So now we're coaching our, te our teens how to make decisions with friendships and relationships, and sometimes we go, all right, good luck, and we stop giving input on like how to choose good, godly friends, how to get into relationships, when the relationship should go a little bit further, if it's a, d a dating relationship or not. And we've got to continue staying involved. I remember one of the, one of the biggest decisions I ever made in my college years was a decision that I needed to decide that that guy over there needed to be my friend. And I, I, I just saw him like going after God, do, making good choices, and it just seemed to be like, you know what, I want, I want to hang out with that person. I, I, I think they could mentor me, they could help me, they could coach me, we could be good, good friends. And so I started hanging out with my friend in my sophomore year of college. That led to one of the most valuable relationships in my life where that man stood as the best man at my wedding and I stood at the best man at his wedding. And we continued to chat and talk and keep each other accountable. Not because we just accidentally ran into each other, but there was a moment where I had to decide whether that was a good friendship or an unhealthy friendship, whether to invest in it or to step back from it and through God's grace said, go for it. And we did. That was a great decision. An even better decision was I met this girl named Jen, and she was cutting hair. And I'm like, she's awesome. I think I want to get to know her better. And she was dating somebody at the time, right? Like, I don't know, God, can you help me with that, right? And then a year later, how's it going? Oh, we broke up? Really? <laughs> Come cry on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Investing in the right relationships. Super important. 
So talk to your kids about their friends and how to invest and, and build in and what they should be looking for in friendships. Here's rules for dating. Again, I apologize, teens. Rule number one. <laughs> don't. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason from 13 to 19 that you ever have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I know that's unpopular. I know that's unpopular. But I remember I said minnows are minnows. Popularity, not a thing, right? Don't. You don't need to. What if I... Josh, what if I like somebody? Cool. That's great. I'm glad you like them. Hang out with them. What if they like me back? Well, then you're going to hang out more. You're just going to keep hanging out. And you're just going to keep hanging out. You're just going to keep hanging out. And then if you don't like each other, you never have to break up. Right? You just stop hanging out. You're like, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to do that anymore. And there, why do we put this pressure on ourselves to go steady and to become official and to be boyfriend or girlfriend so we can change our status? You don't, you don't need to, you can go on dates, but you don't have to be dating, all right? And let, let me just live in this world of I, they can be your best friend, you can hang out with them, and people don't like, I'm going to write a book someday called Mutual Like, and it's going to be a, a New York Times least seller, but I'm going to write it, and it, it's just this idea, don't. But here, and here's what you do instead, rule number two, don't look for the right one, be the right one, and God will give you the right one. Don't look for the right one. Again, if you're single, maybe you're a single parent, maybe you're, maybe you're single and you're older, this principle still applies to you. We spend so much time and effort looking for the right one because we need someone else in our lives. We need someone else in our lives. Impulse control, you don't. All you need is God. You have a great relationship with God, and if you pursue your relationship with God and you say, God, before you, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to run the race. I'm going to run the race before me, keeping my eyes fixed only on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to look to the cross. I'm going to run this race. You're going to run the race, and here's what's going to happen. You're not even looking for the right one. You're just focused on Jesus. That's what Hebrews said, Focus on Jesus. All of a sudden, you're going to look to your side, and then you're going to look back to Jesus, and you're going to look to your side again. You're going to be like, huh, that's interesting. And over here is going to be them, right? And they're going to be running, and they're focused on Jesus, and they're doing their thing, and they're, they're serving God, and you keep bumping into each other because that's what your race is having. You're going to look over, and they're going to look back over, too. And you're going, huh? And, then, and, then, and you're going to be like, so are you going after Jesus? And they're going to be like, yeah, are you going after Jesus? Yeah, well, that's interesting. You want to do it together? Sure. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you're going to meet the right one, and you're going to come together, and you're going to know it's the right one because you've been pursuing God with all your heart. And what God does is he just nudges paths together. He's like this incredible, this incredible matchmaker, and he pushes you together because at the beginning of time, God created you for a specific person, and he created them for you too, and when you stand at the altar and you say, I do, you realize, you confirm God's plan for your life that you were made for one another, and if you focus on God, God will give you each other. You don't have to worry about finding the right one. All you need to do is go after what God has for you, and somewhere along the way, you're going to run into that person. For me and Jen, it was at camp. We were camp counselors together. We were hanging out with teenagers all summer long, and we fell in love because we were doing ministry together. Just run after God, and he'll give you the right one if you need it. Singleness, for some, is a huge blessing and a huge ability to serve God like no other. So it's not more or less to have a, have a one, but when you get there, God will give it to you. Now, rule number three, always seek parental permission don't take the next step in any relationship without talking to your parents and get their blessing. Number four, help. Uh, we, circle this, we must make me closer to God. We must make me 
closer to God. If you being in a relationship with someone doesn't cause you to become closer to God, you need to guard that relationship and not take it further until it does. We should make me closer to God. Your number one priority in who you date, hang out with, pursue a relationship with, should be, does it make me a stronger Christian? It should be number one. Number one. So it becomes very hard to get in a serious relationship with someone who doesn't love God. It should not be an option. Number five. True love always, 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 always protects purity. Robbing purity is always, always, always selfish. And so true love will protect. And if you're in a relationship where one or the other is causing you to lose your purity, to leak purity, then that is not a loving relationship. That's a selfish one. And so protect your purity at all times. You will never regret protecting your purity. So what's our coaching goal? Well, it's relationships matter, so help them choose carefully. Relationships matter, so help them choose carefully. And lastly, before we go to the last one, I want to say thank you to our branch team staff and team leaders. One of the things that we do at Branch Life Church is we provide an opportunity for teens to have good, godly relationships, for teens to have good, godly adults in their lives who come alongside parents and reinforce godly values, who coach well. I love that my daughter is connected with these staff members, with these youth leaders who do an incredible job week in and week out, loving teenagers and pointing them to Jesus. So can we give everyone who's a part of our Branch Teens Ministry a big hand? I'm going to say thank you so much. It's been pretty awesome to see this group grow in the last couple years. We really kicked this off two years ago. It started with six or seven or eight kids. Now we have well over 30 kids that are connected on a monthly basis with Branch. And if your kids need a place where they can connect with godly adults and other teens who love Jesus, hey, that's what this group is for. They meet on Wednesday nights and other times. Lastly, we want to coach our kids in having a deeper faith. Proverbs 35 says this, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The world, the impulses, the hormones, the minnows, the whales, the relationships. Ah, what do I do? Take refuge in God. Every word that he speaks is true. And you will transform the world in God's power. You'll live the life God wants you to live when you see that and experience that. So you parents, here, teenagers, here's what the truth. Your parents' faith cannot save you. And so many people are walking around with the religion that they got from their parents. Oh, I grew up Catholic, or we grew up Methodist, or we grew up Mormon, or we grew up atheist. And you're carrying this religion around that you were inherited. I grew up Baptist. I grew up Christian. And, and that's their faith. It's their faith that they grew up with. At some point in your teenage years, it needs to go from being your parents' faith to your faith. You need to understand what you believe and why you believe it. It's super important. Now, here's the thing about faith. Every word of God proves true. Test it. Parents, let your teens test faith. Let them ask questions. Let them explore and coach them through that process. We want to give them good coaching, good godly answers, point them to why we believe what we believe so they can for themselves make the decision to be followers of Jesus, which I believe is a true decision, the best decision, the decision of refuge. And so that 
That debate, that conversation has to happen through our teenage years. I know I made the decision to follow Jesus when I was six years old. I made the decision to follow Jesus when I was six years old. At six years old, I couldn't decide whether or not I should eat broccoli, let alone if I should follow God or not, right? So, and I'm a six years old, and I'm like, should I follow Jesus? And everyone's like, you should follow Jesus. And I'm like, I should follow Jesus, so I'm going to follow Jesus, right? So I decided that when I was six years old. When I was 13 years old, I was like, what was I doing, right? Like, I don't know if that counts. I don't know if that's legit. I don't know if that's real. And I started asking questions that I had never asked before when I was 13. What if I'm not saved? What if there is not a heaven? What if there is a hell? What if the Bible's not true? Who is Jesus? Where did he come from? Should I believe in him or not, right? Like that became me wrestling with my faith when I was 13 years old. When I was 13 years old, I recommitted my life to Jesus, and I knew exactly what I was doing in that moment because I had tested out my faith. And guys, by the grace of God, I've never looked back. I've been able to follow Jesus through this entire, I've had ups and downs, but I've been all in with Jesus since I was 13 years old. Why? Because I had this season of testing that I had to go through to make it not my parents' faith, but to make it my faith. Now, I believe I got saved when I was six, because the Bible says, let the little children come unto me. And I knew what I was doing, I remember what happened, I remembered the decision that I had to make, and it was a simple faith, and it was a childlike faith, and that's all you really need to accept the gift of salvation. But it became mine when I was 13. It was super important for me to go through that process. Some of us, that happens when we're 20s, 30s, but man, it should be happening when we're teens. You can test this. You can talk through this. A deeper faith is so important because in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're instructed to trust the Lord with all our heart. And we don't need to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So even in the season of questions... Even in the season of trying to wrestle with this, ultimately our goal is to say, hey, you can trust, you can trust the Lord in this season. You can trust the Lord with your purity. You can trust the Lord with your choices. You can trust the Lord with your impulses. You can trust the Lord and just acknowledge him and let him help you take the next step. And parents, you can trust the Lord with your kids. You can trust the Lord with their spiritual journey. You can trust the Lord with their choices. You can trust the Lord. You don't need to just acknowledge your way as a parent. And trust the Lord, even in these difficult years. I remember, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I know, I, because I've worked with teens for no long, I know what's happening when my kid turns 13, 14, right? She's, and she's there. The other one's 10. She's, he's not far away. And I, kn- I knew it. I knew it would happen. I remember when the biggest problems were, you know, do we need to change the diaper or not? Did we give them enough vegetables? Did they get enough hours of sleep? In your teenage years, the issues that you begin to face make you dream for the moment when it was like, can they roll over? But man, what an opportunity. But what a necessary moment to say, I gotta trust God. I gotta trust God and help my kids to do the same. Our coaching goal is to help teens ask questions so they know what they believe and why they believe it. You're gonna get to that moment in every stage where you say, I've prepared you for this. We've talked about it. I can't believe this day is here but it's time, and I'm going to trust God with your next steps. I love you. Make good choices. Would you pray for your teens as you watch this short video? I knew this day would eventually come. I just didn't think it would come so fast. I remember everything we taught you. Remember, if you need anything, anything at all, I'll be there. 
Look, it is a crazy world out there with people who don't care if they hurt you or not. They don't care that you're... My little baby. And you better call me twice a day, because no matter... What happens, I will always be your dad. Seems like just yesterday you were... My little girl. Now look at you, you're all grown up. So you have a good day, and I will be right here. Waiting for you to come home. I remember everything I taught you. Be safe. Dad, I got it. You can stop worrying. I'll be fine. I know, I know. Oh, dear, I promised myself. I wouldn't cry. Hey, guys, we hope that there's been something that encouraged you today, no matter where you are in your parenting process and during your spiritual journey. I want you to know that we are praying specifically for you. We care about you and we love you. And I'm glad that you've been a part of this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to fill out that connection card online. We'll be able to pray for you more specifically. If there's anything that we can do for you, that connection card is where to start. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.